We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. So I've been thinking about this, this idea of the, the presence of God. And um, so let me take you back to the journey. So the first time this topic came up to me was uh, there was a group of us that had met together. And we were talking about, well, if Lifeline Church didn't exist, how would you build your church and what would it be known for? And there were really excellent answers. There are things about we want to be known for being relevant to the community. We want to be known for good relationships. Uh, um, Jenny, who was there, pointed out to me, no one mentioned the presence of God. No one said, I want to be known for the presence of God. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I was thinking about that. So that was my, my first thought. What do we want to be known for? Then I thought, oh, wait a second. Didn't, when Terry King was here back in March, he had spoken about being people of the presence. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Then, then John started talking about the presence more often. And so I said to, said to the youth teams, I want you guys to focus on the presence of God. And that's, that's the t- kind of topic. I want us to explore that. And I was sitting in on one of the discussions, and I thought, wow, everyone's really talking about quite a variety of different things when they talk about the presence of God. And so I started to think, well, what do we really mean by it? What's the definition? How do we define it? And so I started thinking, okay, right, well, how about we, th- we talk about what happens when you, ha- having been in the presence of God? What, does, what difference does it make for you? But, but then I felt kind of a block put on that question. And I felt that God was saying to me, I want you to be more concerned about being in the presence than what you get from the presence. So I thought, okay, all right, let, let, let me think about that. Then I thought, okay, so, so then... How can we conjure up his presence? And I thought that didn't sit right because it's like I've got a genie in a bottle that I've just got to rub the lamp and then he appears as if it's something in my control. And I thought, well, it's not about, I can't make his presence come. And then I thought, well, actually, isn't he omnipresent? So isn't he already here? And then that thought just kept on growing and growing in my head. And one of my favorite verses is in Genesis 28, where Jacob's run away, and he's gone to sleep, and just talks about any normal place. There was nothing significant about this place. He had this amazing dream that that transformed his life. When he awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. How often do we forget that he's here? And I started to find, even as I'm writing this, God is here. As I'm composing my emails, God is here. Sometimes we think God's in Mayfield school. We're more willing to expect that, but he's with me when I'm in my arguments. He's with me when I'm losing my rag with my kids. He's with me when I'm trying to overtake a learner driver down Mayfield Road, which is never easy. He's listening to my conversations. He's with us. He is with us. He he is with us. He is here. He is here. It's it's so normal. We talk about it so often. But he is here. He he is here. 
the one that flung the stars into the sky, the stars that humanity has gazed at for generations, the stars that are in all of our songs, in all of our nursery rhymes and our poetry, he hung them there, and he is here. He is here. He's in the same room as us. That same he has come close to me, to you. That same he cares for me. That same he hung on a cross. He, that he, is here. I feel God set me on a journey of wanting to become more aware of his presence. I don't know if you're like me. Automatically, I fall into the trap of thinking corporate worship because that's when we sing this song, more aware of his presence. But there's only one place, and it's a special time. It's the only time in the week that all of the saints come together in this way. But it's one place. So each time we think, okay, that's what it would look like in corporate worship. My challenge to you is to have two other examples what it looks like outside of corporate worship to help counterbalance a little bit. How do I become more aware of his presence? There's a Jesus culture song with with the words... I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. I want to sing right to you. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. How often do we do that? How often are we talking about him to someone? We just forget he's there. But how can I remember? How can I think that he's here? Rachel Turner came and helped us think a little bit about God being with us. And here's a little extract of... um, a message that she brought us, I think it was about six years ago now. So just just listen to, to her journey. I don't, with my husband, wait for him to come home. And he walks in the door, and I say, thank you for everything you've done today. Please do the dishes. I'm sorry for rolling my eyes at you behind your back. You didn't notice, but I did. And then walk away. I don't. I say, how was your day? Let me tell you about my day. Thank you, sorry, please, is part of my relationship with my husband. It's not the center of my relationship with my husband. Whole heart to whole heart is the part of our relationship with God that Jesus bought for us on the cross. When he died and rose again, the veil was torn, and we're allowed to have this face-to-face with every moment of our lives. When I was a teenager, I used to buckle Jesus (laughs) into the seat next to me when I was driving, click, uh, to remind me that he was there. And then I would just talk out loud to him. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so exciting. And I would just just chat to him. Um, Even now, I take God out to dinner and a movie, and I I won't buy him food or anything. Sometimes he wants a pudding, and I help him with that. So she used to buckle Jesus into the seat next to her. It was just her way of thinking, he is here. He is here. And... I'd forgotten about this, but I was finding, I was having meetings, and I was training myself to keep looking at the empty chair in the room. I was thinking, just imagine he's here. Just imagine he's here. What would he be thinking? Would he have an opinion on what I'm talking about? Would he have something to input into it? What would bring a smile to his face right now? Because he is here. How do I catch what he's got for me? How does that affect my attitude and my thoughts? There's um, a movie um, called The Memoirs of the Invisible Man. And so this guy called Nick is invisible. And um, he's talking to, to this girl, Alice. Um, let's just watch this clip. Come on, 
Nick? I'm here. I got us a compartment on the 7.30 train to San Diego. From there, we can figure out how to get across the border to Mexico. That gives us about eight hours to kill. Look, they're gonna catch me, Alice. Just get on the train, go. Get away from me, these guys are nuts. I never forgive myself if something happened to you. Nick, I'm not scared. Whoever these guys are, they can't control everything. God, I can't believe I got you into this. Forgive me. This is something I have to do on my own. was there the whole time, but he just couldn't be seen. But as the rain came down, she, Alice was then able to look at him in, a, in his eyes, could see something. The rain revealed what was already there. Now, every now and again, I like to try and give Tanya an art project, which is a bit of a challenge. Now, neither of us has been able to complete this one yet or figure out how to do it, but I, I had this imagination that taking that that line from Jesus' culture, I don't want to, to look right through you. Now, I'm using the corporate worship example here, but how often am I staring at the screen and singing those words and missing the fact that he's already here? And the, the image that I had in my mind is that there's, there's someone in the room. We can't quite make them out, but there's a sense that there's someone here. God gives us praise in our hands. And it's almost like we take a sense and go, we blow it. And as it settles, it, it reveals who's already in the room. And I want our times of corporate worship to be like that. As we're singing, we actually begin to see who is here. But I don't just want our corporate worship times to be like that. I want our conversations to be like that. I want our board meetings to be like that. I want our interactions with our spouses or our children to be like that. As we talk about him, as we, we praise him, something begins to settle. And suddenly we're looking at him in his eyes. Terry King says, worship makes one sensitive to the spiritual realm. So I've been asking myself a question of, what is blowing that glitter that it will land and give the form of who is there. So this is a question that's been working for me. What causes you to awe him? So I was um, working with someone on a kind of pastoral issue, and they'd kind of built up a, a quite a strong, fortified position. And like it looks really strong. But then I saw just the grace of God just lapping away at this thing. Just so gentle, just undermining this, this stronghold that, that had set. And I think, gosh, that causes me to awe you. I think that's awesome that you do that. The line from the song, as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. That causes something in me that, that as I 
below that, I begin to see the outlines of him. Tanya was saying to me, I've never noticed this line before. He rejoices over you with singing. With singing. We know the idea that God speaks over us. But singing, that's just a bit kind of elaborate, isn't it? That's a little bit emotive and, and joyful, but that's what he thinks of. Other people talk about, well, Jesus talked about, look at the, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. He sees something in that that begins to reveal the God that's there. Isaac Newton said, in the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone would convince me of the existence of God. There's something there. It's like he's, he's looking at that, and he's beginning to see God in his eyes. And this story, oh my goodness. The story of baby Miles, just every time I come back to it, the goodness of God, the power of God, the care of God, and I begin to see him, and it causes a whole different reaction in me. And we're told in Scripture to, to look at things from different angles, to think about it. It talks about Mary. She wondered, pondered, and treasured. I want to be like that. I want to look at these things from different angles and see things differently. I just think, the presence that he offers us, what would Moses have said if he was here? He asked to see God's glory and he was denied. No, you can't see it. It will kill you. The children of Israel for centuries had a, had a veil in front of the, the presence of God. That got ripped and we live in the good of that. What would they have said? That's something to wonder, to think on. So Terry talked about being people of the presence. And these are conversations I've had with people that I'm beginning to see things of, oh, that's what, th these are their journeys, their little footprints in the sand. Tanya was telling me this, the story about um, her and Dave decided, you know what, today we want to be used by God. And they went to, um, out to a pub for, for breakfast, and while they were there, they felt to talk to the waitress. And Tanya said, I just wanted her to know that God thinks of her and sees her. And they asked, can we pray for you? So she started praying, and the waitress just ran away in the middle of her prayer. Now, that's a bit of an awkward moment. So Tanya's like, what do I do? I, she could be talking about, oh, there's a couple of weirdos on table nine, avoid them. But she said, there was something in her that rose up that said, it's more important that she knows what God thinks of her than I look like a weirdo. Julie's told us stories about, she's just gone for a walk with a dog in the park, and... God has said something to pray for that person. And she, puts a, she said, well, if, if I start talking to her, if she talks about pain, then I'll pay for her pain. So how are you doing? Oh, the pain is terrible. It's her journey. Of, as these people have tried to practice, what does the presence look like? What does intimacy, this, this invitation that God is giving us at this time, what does it look like? These are the things that are happening. Anthony said something. I was really a bit dis dis disillusioned with the community first responders, but I decided, you know, when I go this day, I want to take Jesus with me. He ended up saving someone's life and being able to witness and demonstrate God in very tangible ways. Sally said, as I've been looking to have greater intimacy with God, it causes me to say, God, I want you to soften my heart like yours is soft. And then I begin to say, I want to 
hear what you're doing. So I'm inclining my ears towards people. And as I do that, I'm hearing things. And as I'm hearing things, I'm thinking, I can speak into that and I can bring something that would make a difference for that person. Things that she would not have heard before or not have wanted to deal with before. Because the intimacy is doing something, she's able to bring something out of that. John has talked about the roar of the Holy Ghost. That's something that the people of the presence carry. And we've been looking at this whole concept of contending, fighting for things, fighting for miles. God has been teaching us something. It comes out of being people of the presence. The other Friday at youth, we were singing one of the songs we were singing this morning. And this line came up. And I, I was standing next to Georgia at the time. I said, Georgia, his spirit lives within me. His spirit lives within me. His spirit lives within me. I've sung that and I've told you that for years, but that means so much more. I can't even get to the edge of what that begins to mean. His spirit lives within me. It's a game changer. And we, 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 the way that I've only been able to kind of package that before is you kind of carry his scent with you where you go. Or you're a representative of him. That, that's true and that's good. But his spirit lives within me. Surely the Lord was in this place and I wasn't aware. Surely the Lord was in this place and I wasn't aware. In Luke 1, we see the preparation for um, Mary to, to have Jesus, um, to, to um, conceive Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one will be born, who will be called, will be, who will be born will be called the Son of God. That same concept of what the Holy Spirit did in Mary, he did in you. The same reality of the heartbeat of a living human inside her by the power of the Spirit is what happened to you when you were born again. We are his temple. The temple that you had to be careful what you did when you were in it. We are that temple. He dwells inside us. Bernard said last week, you know that Jesus, well, he's just gone and multiplied himself. He's just gone and multiplied himself. He multiplied himself in you. Talks about Gideon, the spirit of the Lord, clothed himself in Gideon. Clothed himself in Gideon. Gideon was empty. God put him on. That's the same concept we're talking about with his spirit lives inside me. Jesus picked up his Jamie skin. And now I'm walking around. But he is walking around in me. But if the spirit of him who rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the same spirit that rose him from the dead is in you. Heart beating, heart thumping inside of you. That means the same Jesus that encountered the woman at the well and flipped her life upside down is in me 
when I meet my colleagues at the water cooler in my office. It's the same Jesus that walked this earth is in you. I can't get my head around that. During the Cold War, the US started building air bases all over Europe and the rest of the world. And it was because they needed somewhere to be able to strike from. I am an air base of God. He will strike from me. He will reach out and make a difference from me. This is my son, William. Now, he doesn't, he looks fairly podgy in this picture, but he's pretty agile. William has an amazing knack of grabbing stuff when he's in your arms. Now, the way, the, where, our, where his high chair is, is right next to the spice rack. Now, often what I'm doing is picking up the food that he's dropped while I'm holding him in my arms, just like that. The things that he can grab off of that spice rack, which I did not know was in reach, including the big old maple syrup thing that just flash onto the floor. Lucy was holding him the other day. I heard this scream. I come running into the kitchen. She'd just put up a hot mug of coffee to her mouth and he'd knocked it out of her hands. When I'm carrying around Arthur, when I'm carrying around William, he's going to reach out and grab stuff I didn't even know was in reach. He's going to knock stuff away from me that I didn't know was bad for me. You carry, in the same way as I carried him in my arms, you carry Jesus. You carry the Spirit within you. And from you, he is still reaching out in the same way that he reached out when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. He is reaching out to the woman at the well, to the blind man. He's confronting the Pharisees from within you in a modern day context. Once you begin to think of this, and we talk about the weight of glory that each other carry, that's what we mean. We are carrying this active, real heartbeat in our arms that is thumping for this creation. We are a new creation. We've got to look at each other differently. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory said, if you could see even the dullest, most boring person next to you in the fullness of what God intends to do in them and is already doing in them, they would be a creature to you that you would wish to worship. So look at the dullest, most uninteresting person next to you right now and just think, this person has the Spirit of God living inside them now. And that will come to fullness. I was talking to Elspeth, and I'm, I'm sorry, if I nick everything you're doing from Tuesday night, I'm sure we, we all need to hear it twice. So, she arrived, she said, I was just, I've just been at a Bible study, um, part of the Encounter Bible Studies, and we're looking at Daniel 2, and there's a bit where Nebuchadnezzar has just said, unless you can interpret my dream that I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to kill you all. Daniel says, I can't do it, but God can do it. And she said, I left that meeting with a sense of joy and terror because I'm in meetings where they're asking for a dream to be interpreted and nobody knows the answer. But I know that my God does. What will happen one day when I say, I don't know the answer to solving Barkin and Dagnum's social prescription issues, but my God does. 
what would that be like? What if the presence of God entered that place? When, um, when the disciples that met the risen Jesus on the, the road to Emmaus came to meet the apostles in Jerusalem, they just said, it's true, it's true, it was amazing, we just saw him. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. Jesus himself stood among them. Talk about understating. What if Jesus himself stood among that meeting that Elspeth's in? Would they see him? See him physically? Would they laugh? Would they cry? Would they feel convicted? Would they repent? Would they just get revelation of how relational social prescribing works? But then I thought, but Jesus was in the room. He was in the room because Elspeth was in the room. Jesus walked into that room. Well, did we see the impact that we were wanting to? I don't know. It's hard to say. But is there more? Yes. How do we reveal him that is already there? I believe the more that we love him, the more that we can embody him. Or he embodies himself in us. He zips on us. And we get there by what God is talking about of greater intimacy. What if God wanted to turn up to a waitress in a pub restaurant one breakfast uh, routine? He did. What if God wanted to turn up to someone um, that called community first responders? He did. What if God wanted to turn up to a woman that was sitting in pain in the park? He did. What if God wants to speak to someone at the water cooler at work? He can. You are all carrying your Williams around. And he is reaching out and grabbing stuff. He is using you as an airbase. Now, this is where I'm going off-piste. That's where I got to. And then Bernard came along. Bernard put a piece in the puzzle that I couldn't really, I couldn't get before. And it was almost like a circuit just connected and the, the neurons are firing all over the place. Bernard came and talked about the birthright and blessing. And so we'd been talking about this presence and we'd been talking about intimacy and it felt like God was giving us a real invitation to something that we're kind of nibbling around the edges. Meanwhile, there is an enemy work to try and undermine what we're trying to do. That It feels at times that we're sludging along in stuff. And so then Bernard comes along with this idea of embracing the birthright. And he... he he referred back to a talk that he'd done some time ago um, called John Must Die. Now, before anyone thinks that in order to fulfill what God's asking, you need to assassinate John, that's not necessary. The message is, you still live in your father's house, but you're not babies. You are now adult children. And John has a desire to leave room for his adult children. When, uh, when David anointed... Uh, gave permission for Solomon to, be, to become king. He said, praise God because I've seen my successor with my own eyes. Every other king went to the grave before they'd kind of sorted out a successor. But David was celebrating that, look, there's a continuation. And so Bernard said, you've got to value the DNA. Don't just go after the blessing. So the DNA, the birthright, that's... The blood, that's what has God demonstrated to us 
What has God shown us in the form of John? And so I spent some time thinking about that. And one, one strong memory came back to mind. I was with him in Zimbabwe, and there was a couple that um, had separated, and he was desperate to try and talk to the wife. Um, and we'd just done this four-hour Zimbabwean long meeting. Um, and I, we'd just got in the car, and we were just pulling out the compound, and I was ready to go. And then George Myers said, shouted through the window to Dad, Oh, her name was Wadsnow. Wadsnow's here. Dad had opened the car door and had his foot on the ground before the car had stopped moving. I, at this point, would have said, oh, get her, give her her number and we'll arrange a time to see her. I wanted to go home by this point. And um, Dad got out of the car and he talked with her. He got back into the car and he said to me, if I could just save that marriage for the sake of the kingdom. And I saw the birthright in that moment. I saw that there was a passion for the kingdom of God that is represented and expressed by his love for people. And I saw at that point, my own heart did not embrace that. He loved the kingdom. He loved what God wanted to do, and he was desperate to be part of that. And that, was, that looks like loving people. And so I've had the opportunity to question myself a number of times. Am I seeing it? Do I catch it? And um, a DNA grabbing or a birthright grabbing question I've, I've discovered is, how can I see what you see? So there's times where Dad will point out things to me. So there was a point where I, I worked under him for, um, I did commun- uh, business services at Lifeline House, which means that if anything goes wrong, it's ultimately your responsibility. And you have to be really observant. I am not observant. And so Dad would come to me and say, uh, light bulb's out. Oh, yeah. No toilet paper in the men's toilets. Oh, right, yep. And after a while, that could become really annoying, having that pointed out every single day. And I could say, well, it's not really my strength. I'm more of a do-anything-other-than-observing-stuff person. I could say, I'm only doing this role to help you out. But what I wanted my heart to be is, how can I see what you see? How can it matter to me like it matters to you? Why does it matter so much to you? Those questions are DNA-embracing questions. And Bernard's talked about we want what he's got, but we don't want to go, what he's, go through what he's gone through. I want to be forged by the fires that have forged him and bur- burnt into his life what has made him who he is. I was talking to this guy, he said, um, we all want our kids to have character, and we also don't want our kids to have to go through the battles that we've gone through. Then we realise it's the battles that we've gone through that have formed our character. (laughs) I want to have a battle. I want to embrace the suffering or whatever journey God's got me on. But it won't be the ones that he's gone through. Something else is going to form me. So I want to embrace that. The alternative is we just go after the blessing. Well, if you look at the blessing, it was that you would have lots of harvests, you'd have new wine, you have lots of good things that makes life very comfortable. The alternative is also we can just keep the form of stuff, keep, keep the things going that John started. But if you think of Christian history is littered with that same attitude, every denomination 
comes from one person that has caught the heart of something, that has caught the DNA of God and pioneers something. And the next generation that comes just says, oh, I don't know about that stuff. Let's just keep the meetings going. And you get a denomination form. I don't want to be part of a denomination. I don't want this to grow cold. I don't want us just to search for our blessing. I don't want us to search for ourselves, for our position, for our roles. The call that John must die is a call for weight bearers to rise up. And more than weight bearers, it's the revealing of the sons. That's why it says in Romans 8. Creation waits, it even groans for the, the emerging of the sons. We want to be relay race runners, that you don't stand flat-footed until the baton gets to you. You are sprinting. And that thing is coming in, into your hand as you are reaching your full speed. But how do I become the son of the DNA? Bernard said it, we've got to be born again. We've got to be born again to be able to embrace the DNA and not go striving just after the blessing. Because I won't embrace the DNA if I need my part to be more significant than anyone else's. I won't embrace the DNA if I don't want to do the suffering part. When we're born again, we're invited into an intimacy with him that melts our hearts. I've been talking to people, they've said, what, what have you experienced by this kind of presence and intimacy? Uh, someone was saying, I find I'm getting convicted quicker, but feeling forgiven quicker too. Being born again leads to intimacy that enables Tanya to say, I might look like a Wally, but it's more important that this woman knows that God is thinking of her. Intimacy leads Sally to say, I have to hear things and confront them now. The intimacy pushes away, knocks out of our hands the things that we can't have. C.S. Lewis says, God wants to bring us to a place where we could build the most beautiful cathedral there ever was and know that it's the most beautiful and be no more enamored that we built it than someone else. The love for the kingdom is greater that's the DNA. The love for the kingdom is greater than my role in it. If I can just save this couple for the kingdom. What will enable Elspeth to say, I can't, but my God can? Being born again in the intimacy, melting something in her heart that says, the God that's in me is reaching out to you and bringing something that's going to change this borough. And suddenly, I, the connections all started firing in my head. I thought... What happens when we've got this intimacy? It's not just about coordinating information. That was what, another thing that Elspeth was saying, like she was in a meeting and they were talking about the, the, the Mockingbird project, which is the kind of fostering program that Richard and Lucy are involved in. And I said, she said, I, I could vaguely remember something, but I couldn't say anything about it. And we, me and Elspeth were talking about it. And we said, but it's not just about coordinating information. It's not just, right, let's know what everyone's doing everywhere so then we can talk about it. No, because as we decrease, as we're born again, the spirit has more room to grow in us. And it's the same spirit that is doing what it's doing in Lucy and Rich in November would be doing the same thing in Elspeth. And then they will cry out at the same time. We get the roar of the Holy Ghost coming through each of us. That is not about collecting information, but it's about letting that spirit reach out and grab from where we are. And then I'm thinking, that's why God told us to do a conference on the clear sound. 
He's been preparing us for this. And this is why we've been talking about riding pillion on the, on the back of the motorbike and working with the Holy Spirit. This is why he's been talking about a sharper gospel, because a sharper gospel comes out when you've got greater intimacy and you're carrying a Jesus in you that is reaching out and speaking to people because they know themselves what it feels like to know that God is thinking about them and I've got to let this person know it too because the kingdom becomes greater for us. And this is why we're talking at times about the peloton, like when uh, in Tour Tour de France, when one overtakes the next and the other overtakes to kind of give energy and, and, and it doesn't matter who's in the lead at any particular point because we're all moving together. If it's got to be about me and it's got to be about my part and I've got to put the final brick on the cathedral, I am blocking, I am denying my DNA, I'm grasping for a blessing... The intimacy melts that out of me. And we flow together, and it doesn't matter which one of us is leading. But we're going somewhere together because it's about the kingdom. And then I started to think so the revealing of the sons. I think, what if all that God has been building for the last 40 years of lifeline, all that He's done through John, is only about clearing the ground for something new? It would be a travesty just to continue with what he's done so far because this has all been about preparing for the emergence, the revealing of the sons of God. It was prophesied over us as a community that Barkin and Dagnum would be our Jericho. It was the first city to fall in many for the children of Israel moving into the promised land. And I started to think, we've, we've not seen anything yet. And I don't say that disrespectfully for the incredible things that God has done. And we celebrate those things, and we're right to celebrate those things, but we've been playing in the kids' pool, and God is inviting us to the big pool. Barkin and Dagnum is longing for the revealing of the sons. When they walked around the walls of Jericho, the walls fell because they roared, the Holy Ghost roar, and they did it together. In the, in the Matrix series, the first movie is all about a guy called Neo discovering that he's been plugged into a dream world, but it's all made to kind of pacify them, to keep, to keep humans under control. And he gets unplugged from the Matrix, and then when he goes back in, he learns that he can actually alter things. He can change things. He can dodge bullets, and then he can fly, and all this kind of crazy stuff. And everyone thinks, this is pretty amazing. We can change the Matrix. The end of the second movie is when he's back in the real world and a machine is coming after him in the real world and he puts his hand up and the machine drops to the floor and everyone's mind is blown because they've just realised even what you could do in the Matrix is just a way of pacifying you because what you can do in the Matrix you can do in the real world the world just fell the bottom just fell out of their world I think... God wants the bottom to fall out of our world. I believe we've been playing in the kids' pool and God wants us in the big pool. And it fills me with a little of fear and a little bit of joy. When um, Mary had met the risen Jesus in the, the graveyard <clears throat> and she ran to the disciples, it said she was full of fear and joy. Fear and joy. Not fear then joy or joy then fear. Fear and joy together. Best way to describe that is the sense of everything that you had known crumbles. It's no longer true. And this uh, teacher that I was listening to talk about, he said the best way he described it was the first time he held his son. 
his first son that was born to him. He said, suddenly, everything that had always meant something to me didn't anymore. And something that meant nothing to me meant everything to me. The bottom just fell out of his world. What if all of the last 40 years was preparing us for people of the presence that walk around with a Jesus inside them that is reaching out and touching? What if what God had promised us about Barkin and Dagnum was not about a few people influencing some meetings, but 350 people living with the presence of God inside them that is reaching out and grabbing and transforming people in the way that Jesus did when he walked this earth? What if Tanya's experience with that waitress was just an invitation to daily life of people that know the intimacy, that know the presence, that carry the presence with them. And as we embrace that presence, we let him have his way because the bad stuff are pushed out and the good stuff's pulled in. I heard this story about Lucy November um, was was visiting one of the foster carers that they were working with, and the, the, the kids were having a particularly difficult time, and they're kind of off the wall at that point, and she's thinking, I don't know what to do. And so she says to the, the foster carer, just hold my hands, Let's, we're going to pray. And as they prayed, the Spirit of God descended in that room, and peace came over the children. And I can just see that picture of Jesus standing up on the edge of that boat and saying, calm, be still. He's still doing it today. He did it then. He's doing it today. In each one of you, if you choose to embrace it, if you choose to embrace your birthright, that's what he wants to do. And we are on the precipice of falling into something that God has been preparing us for for 40 years. And the reason that Bernard's message was so serious because we could miss it. We could miss it. We could miss it. Because we could go after the blessing. We could go after continuing the form. We could be saying to, to John, let me take some weight off you. What is it that I can do? And yet he's waiting for the revealing of the sons that love the kingdom so much that it's not about continuing the same stuff. It's got to be new. It's got to go beyond No wonder why the enemy has looked to distract us, has looked to put people in, to trap people in their minds, to force us to be working in silos, to undermine the basis of agreement that we can't roar together, or has trapped us into seeking comfort. No wonder, because the enemy is terrified that we could step in to our inheritance, that we could come into what he's called us to. So God calls us, and he's given us an invitation. He's been talking to us almost for for a year specifically, an invitation to intimacy. That intimacy enables us to pursue the birthright and the DNA instead of the blessing, which leads to us being revealed as the sons that embraces the spirit within us, that is Jesus multiplied, and that leads to the breakout like we've never seen. And it will be every time we step in a room, it would be just like... And then Jesus was in the room. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere 
Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Can you put that song up? Can you get that song ready? And Mark, can you come? You see, listen carefully to what Jamie is bringing and what Bernard brought us last week. I honestly believe, I honestly believe that we're seeing, like the, like the prophet of old, a cloud that is the size of a man's hand. But it's the, the beginning of that expectation. I think God is shaping us up for what he's got in the future, not to be a monument of the past, but to shape us up for what he's got. We've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Could it be that some of the things that Jamie was talking about, the impact, the effect, the actual raising up of a demonstration, not of a different way to have meetings, but of an impact of the heart and kingdom of God relevant to our generation. This song contains this. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness, that we might be those that become channels of your purpose. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at lifelineuk. Thank you.